Welcome to Books and Nachos, a podcast for those of us who find excitement in the pages of a good book. At booksandnachos.com, you can find over 100 reviews, from fiction to nonfiction, graphic novels, and more. There's also links to our Facebook and Twitter pages, and information about our Podbean crowdfunding campaign. At booksandnachos.com, we're here to find you something great to read. Hello, Books and Nachos listeners. Welcome back to the sixth installment of the Books and Nachos Harry Potter novel retrospective series. I'm Arnie. And Stuart. And this is Brock. And if you haven't yet read this book or watched the movie based on it, I don't know why you would care about spoilers for something 17 years old, but here's your spoiler warning. Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. This is the first book I read outside of a pretty close sequence. I'd read book one a year later, come back for two, three, four, all back to back, and then just a few months later, book five, I had to wait like two years before book six, and I gotta be honest, I didn't remember a lot of the sub-characters and things going into this, and I've had to do a lot of looking up who characters were the first time I read it. So it was really nice as part of this retrospective that I get to read this. I literally finished (laughs) Order of the Phoenix, put that book down, picked up Half-Blood Prince. Yes, exactly the schedule we are on. (laughs) So welcome to our world, Arnie, because us Harry Potter fans who are reading as we go, at this point, of course, I'm all in, but I have to keep waiting years and years for the new books. We had to wait. And so in that similar vein, at this time, I was with my wife. I had already indoctrinated her into reading Harry Potter. The first summer we met, I gave her all four books that I owned. And then we both read book five. So the summer of 2005, when this book came out, I said to my wife, you know what? When we get the copy of the book, why don't you go ahead and read it? I really want to read book five again, because it's such a big book with so much in there. I want to make sure I can follow what's going on, because I have a feeling it's going to be really well connected. So you go ahead, and I'll read book five. And as soon as she finished book six, I had, I was ready to go. I had finished book five and went right in. And I'm boy, am I glad I did that, especially that first time, because as you said, there's a lot of holdover characters. And here we are, as we talked about last time, we're, we're kind of getting near the end game, right? That was my question, that people knew the design, right? They knew seven books were promised. They knew, I think the word is penultimate. This is right before the ending. You wouldn't think that this was going on forever. You knew that this was trying to draw it to a close. Absolutely. The idea is Hogwarts is seven years, the book series is seven years. The only thing I knew about this book, I remember Barnes & Noble was still in business at that time, like Borders. I remember walking by actual bookstores and seeing displays. The secret was out. This is the book that killed Dumbledore. People were upset. It was a thing. Yes, it absolutely was. And I think one of the reasons I didn't mind so much reading book five again before reading book six was I knew he was going to get it. Unlike, as we talked about last time, I knew someone was going to die, but we didn't know who. This time, we knew who was going to die up front. And I will just say, probably Sirius Black had his fans, but I feel like I never was that attached to him. If I were looking at father figures for Harry, Dumbledore is a much bigger deal. Dumbledore was the one thing that could protect Harry in his childhood years from Voldemort. You remove that, and you basically announce, this is the end. The next book has to be that cage match. I didn't know Dumbledore was going to die when I read this. You say the cat was out of the bag, but, I mean, admittedly, 
I've never been in any Harry Potter groups. I've never even really talked to anybody about reading Harry Potter until just now. But I knew nothing about this going in. I'll tell you what I knew. It was shorter than book five, which defied my expectations. I truly thought that Rowling was just going to increase the page count of every single book. I felt that was part of a plan. And after book five, I didn't know if they'd have to print book six in two different books just so the spine would hold together. <laughs> it's a dictionary at this point. <laughs> Unabridged. Book seven would be like Encyclopedia Britannica, where I have to subscribe and get one a month. But I was surprised that this was going to be shorter, and that met, left me a little skeptical. I'm like, how can there be less story? When we left it last time, the war was really raging. How can we have less story here? Well, penultimates are tough, right? Because if you know you can't get to the end, and you're already done everything that the last book already did, you are kind of clock-watching, right? Like this, you have to do something epic, which is, I think, why the design is Dumbledore has to die in this one. I felt like the last book said global stakes, and starting this book, I felt like definitely global stakes. We're meeting muggle prime ministers and finding out that they actually take secret meetings with wizards and vampires on what to do and people looking for chosen ones. They believe that Voldemort is here and people are freaking out at the start of this novel. Not unlike people freaking out in 2005. Again, the parallels to the war and all of that. I feel like Rowling might have been tired of writing Harry Potter, reading this beginning, and like, I want to write a political thriller. I want to write about something else. This sticks out like a sore thumb, but I really like this opening. Funny enough, Stuart, I know, Brock, you said there was stuff that Rowling had in mind for book two and decided it was too early. Right. And it ended up in book six. Mm -hmm. The one thing I could find about that is the meeting of the two prime ministers was something she'd tried to put in since book two, and just it never fit until book six. So while you're looking at the state of the world and everything, in each book, she tried to write that scene. <laughs> and it made the most sense. Yeah, that may be. But the, I mean, there is like a literal just call out Gitmo thing with like the night bus driver is now being held uh, as a suspected death eater somewhere and it's wrong and, and people, Harry is protesting. I mean, again, just in little ways, just tiny little bits of the story, I felt like Rowling really wanted to, to be topical, but she had to stay on her plan. She had to like do the story she was contracted to. And there's also terrorist attacks that we don't see them in the book, but we hear about them in this conversation as well. Dark wizards going after the muggles. I also love this opening of this book. The stuff that I was talking about, Arnie, is not that. But yes, yes, you're right. That is one thing that she held over. But the stuff I was alluding to comes later in this book. So anyway, the point is that she starts it off in a way that we usually don't start off. We usually start off at the Dursleys. And here we're starting off in the real world in a different way. And it certainly turns people for a loop. I, I've read these books before, and reading this first chapter, I'm like, oh, yeah, this, this. For some reason, I don't ever remember this part of the book, but it absolutely is, is a standout. She did it in book four as well. There was that whole little opening about the caretaker of Riddle House and all of that. And even the first book, it was a Dursley, but it was a lot about Vernon before we ever got to Harry, it felt like. So, yeah, I kind of like it. I'll go back to a, a thought I've had 
a while now. I kind of wish this wasn't Harry Potter and I kind of wish it was Hogwarts. I wish it was an ensemble. Yeah, this seems to be her trope. She gets one opening chapter away from Harry. We had the caretaker chapter. We had the delivering Harry chapter after the Dursley chapter. So this I kind of liked. And I also liked seeing that Fudge had to resign in disgrace after all the stuff he put Harry through in book five. More interesting, what I really have always liked, you know, it's always important to me, is how are we positioning this kid? How are people going to feel about him? This is an interesting sort of twist. People are obviously now looking at him as like, you were right, Voldemort is back. And because of that, they've puffed him up to more than he is. They're calling him the chosen one. They're hoping he's Harry Sue, but it feels like a false hope to me. It feels like they don't really believe in him. They're just scared that they have no other savior. Remember, I've said in several of these book reviews, I really found it hard to fathom how the wizards were so cut off from the real world and everything. I'm not sure that this one chapter fixes it all, but it certainly helps. And to know that things going on in the war are impacting the real world. Bridges are falling. There's collateral damage. So it did help in that regard. I think Fantastic Beasts is going to help even more. But This book is very much a return to books one, two, and three in its formatting in its the school year and Harry suspecting someone's evil and there's a big mystery. It's very much like a return to those kind of books after two books not being that way. And did you guys like or dislike that she went back to her formula? Again, my biggest curiosity, I don't know anything about what happens in the last book for anybody. I have my theories, I've talked about them, but the thing I'm most curious about was the Dursleys. I think she answers it here. They're gone. Harry inherits a house. Harry inherits uh, Sirius's house, so he doesn't need to ever stay with them again. He is free of their abuse. And so I didn't know if Harry was going to have to kill them or what, but I think it's probably more painful to these people that he just got a bunch of money and will be walking out the door to live a better life. But he did have to go there. They said that at the end of book five, that he has to go there. It has to still be his home for him to have his mother's magical protection. So they're not gone. Right. He'll be there at the end of the summer until he turns 17. And then he'll leave. So he will be back at the Dursleys at the beginning of the next book. Oh, okay. Well, then I can still hope for murder. (laughs) (laughs) It would be appropriate. I mean, we're going to see themes in this book of Voldemort being an orphan and possibly suffering in not the best environment for a child. There's parallels with what Harry had to go through and what Voldemort's going through. Absolutely. So those thematic elements and how Harry had tons of abuse as a child, but Voldemort had a different kind of situation in his family, his background of his parents and his grandparents jumped off the page how terrible this family was and how just morbid and disgusting it all was and i i found we we go through in that we go in those memories quite a lot now of course it's very convenient that dumbledore has collected these memories for us to go into to get the backstories (laughs) it's not a conventional way to tell stories but for a fun way to tell a, a flashback and it's not my memory it's somebody else's but i'd love to see the scene of him going to these people and being like can i pick your brain I mean, literally, let me just pick this out of your brain. 
Like earwax. They mention it a little bit here and there, how he did it, and it seems amazingly far-fetched, but it may be because he's Albus Dumbledore, and these people were on their deathbeds, he was able to get them to go along with it. But yeah, it sounds to me that, you know, I wouldn't want someone taking my memories after I'm gone, just in case something's in there. And that's what we see with Slughorn. He doesn't want his memories being used against him, or him coming off in a bad light. Of course, he's an egotistical man, we'll talk about him in a second, but these memories, as a convention in the story, I found got the job done, had the parallels to Harry, and really opened up a world of, you know, how we talk about, you know, do we really need prequels? Do we really need to know how Darth Vader became Darth Vader? Do we have to know how Boba Fett becomes Boba Fett? Do we have to know how Voldemort became Voldemort? But I think here, it seems to fit together and works and sets us up for the finale. It's the best thing going in this book. You ask, do I like that we've returned to the way that it was? It didn't really feel that way to me. I guess maybe structurally it does, but it almost feels like, again, penultimate book. I can't do any of the things I've really planned. This feels like when an author writes a story Bible or something, you know, like, I don't mean a literal, like, religious text. I mean, like, when they have all these ideas for the story they want to tell, and they write it in some big, you know, notebook, and they're like, these are all the things I want to get in there, and then they turn around and write the real book. This just feels like I'm going to do the backstory stuff, I'm going to just flesh out all the stuff that I haven't gotten to. Not a lot happens in this book. It's mostly about the backstory. It's mostly about the setup. Yeah, you know, I came to this realization when Buffy the Vampire Slayer was on TV and I really got involved in those forums and things. Mm -hmm. The second to last episode of every season was terrible. (laughs) It was really bad. And the reason being, all those episodes were doing is setting up the final episode. You had to get your chess pieces put into place for the final strike. And there's also budgetary reasons with television. They'd save their budget for the big last episode and chintz out on the second to last episode. But yeah, this is like the dream sequence episode where we're just looking back at memories and stuff. But in a book, you don't have to do that. And I think about, as a comparative... Marvel's Avengers series or the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they were able to set up stories and put paving stones down to lead to Infinity War without any of the movies feeling like they were just there to set up the next movie. So I say in TV, maybe this is a conceit you have to live with while you're working with season structure, but in books and in film, it's actually unforgivable. Well, this is what I was talking about. We might as well mention it now. So a lot of this backstory with Voldemort and all about the Horcruxes, what they are and what they are put into, a lot of that was written for book two. So when she came here, she had to get that stuff out. And the reason we have all these flashbacks, in my opinion, more than just giving us the, do we need this backstory on Voldemort? It talks about, for us, and was, I guess this is why we see these particular memories, because Dumbledore was able to make it clear why those particular objects are made into Horcruxes. And Link's book two to the overall story of that was a Horcrux and Voldemort and why he didn't die. It connects absolutely all the questions you have of why didn't Voldemort die are all answered in this book and sets up the next book for how you can kill him. 
It also sets up Harry to be by himself, like we talk about. I always think of this as an example, and I know I keep mentioning Star Wars, but it's a perfect example. When Luke Skywalker is in that trench line, Ben Kenobi's already dead. He loses his friend from childhood, Big Starklighter, then R2-D2 even gets shot. Luke has to do it on his own. So if Dumbledore was still around... Why don't you just ask Dumbledore to help you? Help it. Has to do it on his own. So Dumbledore had to die, no question. So all of these things were already set up, and already, she already knew all of that, and she had to make sure she did it. You guys are saying that this book, laundry list, grocery list. This feels like exactly that. Oh, I got to get all of that out there so that then we can go have fun this time. Again, the best stuff here is all right. So who was Tom Riddle? Basically, I think we're to think he's the title character. We're supposed to think he's the Half-Blood Prince because we learn pretty early on that his mom was a witch, but she went with a muggle. And that should be a surprise because anyone that seems to be leading the charge on pure bloods, it kind of reminds me of Hitler, right? He had all of these ideas of Aryan beauty that he didn't actually meet. So, yes, it's what we hate about ourselves we project onto others, it seems to be the problem. And I... I'm reading this book for the second time and coming back, I still thought that the Half-Blood Prince was going to be Voldemort because I remembered that this book was a lot of Voldemort flashbacks. So I just assumed he was going to be the Half-Blood Prince. I got to say, like, you know how they're always taking points off House Gryffindor, 10 points, whatever. A hundred points off, Harry, for thinking that the book with all the perfect answers written in the margin wasn't connected to something bad. Like, that was really stupid of it. <laughs> I love how Ginny calls him out on it, though. You're taking advice from a guy in a book? I mean, come on now. Have you learned nothing? I, I love that part. of. The, yeah, that was great. Yeah. Book two, Chamber of Secrets, the whole diary. Like, again, we did this already. Which is also why it should have been a clue that it wasn't the Half-Blood Prince wasn't Voldemort. You already had a book with Voldemort in it. Well, yes, but this was just notes. I don't blame Harry. If somebody gave me a book with all the answers, I'd be a top student, too. <laughs> so who is the Half-Blood Prince? I think that's the other tease of this is like we're learning a little bit about Tom Riddle. Most of which you could probably have guessed because, again, it's so obvious they want to say that he's Harry Potter gone bad. Or rather that Harry will be the the same but fix the thing. They're, they're opposite ends of the chessboard. Well, actually, this the themes of these books is not where you come from, it's the choices you make, right? That's been throughout. The movies have called it out too. So I think drawing the parallels between these two guys is very much intentional because Voldemort went one way and Harry's going the other. It's all about the choices you make. It's a giant theme throughout this entire series. My suspicion, we have this new teacher, Horace Slughorn, who, again, just happened to have that book, and it's like, well, then he's the one wanting Harry to fall into a trap. I just didn't trust this character. Every time we get a new teacher, it feels like most of the time, not all, I know we like the werewolf guy, but most of the time, <laughs> these things go badly. Well, the book was in the classroom because it was Snape's old classroom. I'm just saying what my suspicions were. I thought Slughorn was trying to lead Harry down a path to trap him. Uh, we've had teachers do that before. And so that was where my mind was on the on the mystery of who the Half-Blood Prince was. It was Slughorn you know, leading Harry to the dark side. Um, I never got that from Slughorn. I just found him to be vacuous and uh, obsessed with fame and all the stuff that's obvious. I took him at face value. I didn't think that yet another new teacher was going to be bad. 
When are they good? Again, Remus is like the only one. Like, usually it's like Umbridge. It's not like Rowling is afraid of formula. Yeah. (laughs) My issue with the book overall, though, is right around here, is that the Half-Blood Prince mystery, to me, isn't the crux of the book. And so the book being called The Half-Blood Prince, okay, it doesn't have to be the Half-Blood Prince. It's not as big a deal. Whereas Sirius Black in the pri- is the, was the prisoner of Azkaban, he was hung- hanging over the book the entire time. Whereas here, the Half-Blood Prince really only concerned Harry and his studies. With everything else going on, with his suspicions of Malfoy and the relationship stuff with Hermione and Ron and him, all of that stuff, it, it kind of felt like the Half-Blood Prince thing was a misdirect. Yeah, you're right. Of all the titles, this is the one where it's least important. Yeah, but what would you call this stuff? Again, uh, J.K. Rowling, Harry Potter, and the Incredible Stall. You know, like, <laughs> it, like this is her just going, I know I don't have a good story here. I know I'm just filling in shading. I'd call it Harry Potter and the Unrequited Crush. There is so much romance in this book. It is like love triangles upon triangles. It's not a potions class. It's a geometry class of love triangles. I love all that stuff. I like going back to the trio's relationship with each other and the jealousies and the concerns and Hermione getting on their cases and Ron getting some action for the first time and Harry really acknowledging what he wants and being a teenager. I like the fact that he's able to take a breath between all this tragedy and he had a hell of a year last year. This year, I kind of like that he's able to take a breather and be a kid again. And I think this very much, this reset's very much needed, especially for what is to come. I think it's important that they have this chance to go back to a little bit more of normalcy and being kids again and having all of these adventures, including Quidditch again. I think it's a good choice. Yeah, you do realize that you had been, what you'd been missing, that the last books hadn't been really focused, or at least the fifth book hadn't been focused, and that felt like five books. It hadn't really been about that for a while, in my mind. And so to have those touchstones again, at least made me realize they're still in school. And yes, they're 16, their hormones are raging, and all of that stuff was okay. I didn't mind it. Again, there's enough intrigue here. Like, I'm intrigued about who the Half-Blood Prince is. I'm intrigued, finally, about Draco Malfoy. I want to say, like, particularly in the movies, but even on the page, he's always been a nuisance, but he's never been a threat. And now, the way that they've got it set up here, he actually feels dangerous. It actually feels like he is going to do something that could bring the whole school down. I thought that was a misdirect again, though. I mean, Rowling's done that so many times... I thought for sure that this was not going to be what Harry thought it was yet again. Well, that's the thing about it, is finally Harry gets it right. Only took him six tries, but Harry finally suspects somebody who actually is the one you have to watch out for. And my my daughter and I love, love laughing about that. It took Harry long enough to get one of these right. But, you know, even a blind squirrel finds a nut sometimes. He doesn't have any proof, though. The problem is he was just suspicious of Malfoy. But also, my favorite scene of Malfoy's is not the ending. It's when he gets the drop on Harry on the train and makes Harry pay for being a stooge. Yeah, no, that's legit. Now he's suddenly a threat. He's gone from being, I'll take your lunch money, to being like, oh, he could like do a school, like Columbine kind of shit. You know, like you feel like this school could really go dark because of him. 
But uh, the misdirect I suspected was Snape. I'm like, Snape is not a double agent. They're wanting us to think that. I still don't think it. I'm just going to go call it out. I know I read the, the end. I saw that something transpired and that Snape supposedly killed Dumbledore or something. I'm not buying it. I don't believe it. I believe that Snape's going to be vetted as a good guy. You don't think Snape killed Dumbledore here? You think it was a ruse that Dumbledore killed himself? Or something. Again, I don't know how this stuff works. You can look at people's memories by looking in a bowl and stuff. (laughs) They'll come up with a reason. But nobody ever really dies in this. I just have a feeling they're all going to be forced ghosts, like giving Harry a hug at the end. So, like, losing these people, Sirius Black and now Dumbledore, it doesn't feel, in a world of magic... Like, that is the same stakes as a, as a world of muggles. When Dumbledore died, the first time I read it, I was shocked. And then, of course, like Brock said, it hit me. You have to kill the mentor. I mean, you just have to. It's part of the hero's journey. But I was surprised that they finally revealed Snape to be the villain Harry always suspected him to be. I took this at face value. Snape killed Dumbledore. I don't care how they write it in book seven. Snape killed Dumbledore. That's pretty unforgivable. He had his reasons, right? Like, including the fact that there's some kind of unbreakable vow that he was trapped into doing. If Malfoy couldn't do it, he had to do it. So I I take it to mean that he had his reasons and it's not what he wanted. He's still in the Order of the Phoenix. That's all I'm saying. Well, he runs off at the end with Draco and company. So this is exactly where I wanted to ask you guys at the end. So when this book came out and Snape kills Dumbledore and we find out where Horcruxes are and in the book, they tell us there are seven Horcruxes. Voldemort himself is the last one, right? He's the last piece of his soul. And there is the book that has already been destroyed, the ring that's already been destroyed, the locket they find underneath the potion. It's not really a Horcrux. It was replaced. The real locket's not there. It's a fake locket, but they're looking for a locket. And there is the Gini, the snake they suspect is a Horcrux. And that's five. But there's one missing. We don't know what it is. Did you have a suspicion of what the last Horcrux that we don't know is? It was not named. Do you have a suspicion? Because this was Sna- debating whether Snape is good or bad. And what that last Horcrux was, was two years of forums, of podcasts, because podcasts were pretty new at this point, And I was listening to Harry Potter podcasts at this time because we're all wondering, looking at theories, trying to figure out what it could be. Do you have a suspicion, Stuart and Arnie? Do you have a suspicion on what that last Horcrux could be? Dobby. I hate that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it is. You know what? I didn't even do a head count. I didn't even realize I was missing one. So probably something in a Deathly Hallow, whatever that is. I'd never heard of this locket until this book. I'm a, I never once thought in either reading that I should know what the last Horcrux is. I wasn't listening to Harry Potter podcasts that may have raised that question. The one thing I wondered is, who is R.E.B.? Who is the person who put that note in the locket? And my big fear is, ah, shoot, she's just gonna have this R.E.B. come in and be, like, the magical guy who can fix everything and tell Harry where all the Horcruxes are next time. And they've set up somebody who's a step ahead of Harry. Well, okay, so R.A.B. is right. Oh, R.A.B. Sorry. And there are two things you just said there. One is, I mean, I'm not going to tell you exactly who R.A.B. is, but I'm going to tell you that the locket 
had been mentioned before. Before this book. Before this book. I can tell you right now if you'd like to know what it is. Yes, please. It was in book five. And remember we talked about how J.K. Rowling said, you can't take Creature out of this movie because Creature comes in later. One of the objects that Creature was stealing and holding and all these things that they noticed was he had a locket. Yes, yes, yes. You know what? I'm going to just say it doesn't feel like these things are coming back seamlessly. Now, maybe people have studied it and can lecture me for 20 hours about how it all perfectly congeals. It does feel like a lot of retconning and like... They tried to say things we experienced before mattered. We got the spider dying again and what have you. Tree Lonnie. She's trying to justify all her little tangents. But I don't feel like those first three books are leading to where we were. I love that we find out Trelawney's an alcoholic. (laughs) That's like really sad turn for this character. (laughs) She's hiding sherry bottles in the room of requirement. That is. But you think about your teachers and by by the time you're 16, you recognize that they were very flawed individuals in many cases. Anyway, I know what it is. I hesitate to tell you what I think it was at the time. I will tell you next time, just in case. I don't want to, you know, give you give you guys a, a wrong road or a right road to go down. So, no, you've helped me because I wasn't even thinking about what it was. So now I'll actually be asking when I pick up that very big book, the last big book. It is still shorter than five, and is this one of those things about who R.A.B. is? Is Snape really the bad guy that he seemed to be at the end of the... Will Harry and Hermione actually get together, or is it still going to be Ron and Hermione? Like, all these things are going on. Oh, all right, let me do that. Let me do that one. So the predictions, as they've all been, I pretty much remained on this. Ron's going to die sacrificing himself like he did in the first book. Ginny and Harry are together. Hermione is going to be the new Dumbledore. And Voldemort will be vanquished. I think that's an easy one. Of course, if she's the new Dumbledore, I still think Hermione and Neville would be a cute couple. Oh, God. Come on. She can do so much better than Neville. (laughs) I haven't thought too much about the other ones. But again, those are my big... Those have remained my big predictions since about book three. So you think Harry's going to survive? Oh, absolutely. It is a kid's book series, after all. Okay. Well, I mean, that's obvious to me as well, but that's a huge amount of debate. Speaking of children's books... Were either of you taken aback? Did either of you even notice that Rowling used the word slut in this book? (laughs) There was some more adult language in this. I did feel that the growth has happened somewhat. I think I didn't register it consciously, but yes, I now remember the passage you're talking about. Yeah, I was just like, I can't believe you used the S word. They also talk about Harry having a, a, a naughty dream. Uh, Harry has basically, she admits that Harry had some, uh, you know, some, uh, a sex dream uh, with him and Ginny. And that was like, oh, and she totally covertly used wording in there. I have it in my notes. I'm like, oh, she cleverly put that in there. So if you get it, you get it. And the young kids won't get it. Cho Chang who? Like, they got rid of her. Well, Ginny has had a crush on Harry since the first book, uh, the first time she saw him. And so it took Harry all this time to have his eye turned completely towards her. And, you know, hey, that's a messy situation. It's your, your best friend's sister. That's a tough one. You know, that can, be a, that can be a tough one to pull off. So we'll see how Harry works that out. You know, I hope none of them end up together because, let's face it, I know one person who married their high school crush and actually is still married. It's so unrealistic, dare I say, about a book about wizards and witches. Maybe there's a spell or a curse that will keep them together. 
Well, there's tons of stuff about love potions in this book, which shows us that what they're doing, which I also think is on purpose as well, so we can see what real love and real attraction is versus spelling somebody, etc. I think it's, they went to great lengths to put that in here to make sure that when whoever does end up, whoever they end up with at the end of the series, we know it's real and not an infatuation curse. But they did introduce here a luck potion, which much like the time travel, I'm like, Okay, just drink a whole bunch of luck potion and you're just going to stumble upon the Horcruxes. Big gulp. I mean, they say it's a rare <laughs> potion, etc., etc. But yes, why doesn't he just do that? Let, uh, what's more rare, a Horcrux or the luck potion? And he knows where to find Slughorn. Could he get himself a vial of Felix Felicius and just go for it? Well, we'll have to find out when we read the next book. So what did you guys think in general? I was kind of mad on this one. It was a come down from book five. Clearly, I agree. It's not in the depths of one and two. It's probably on par with about three for me. I really got into four and five. I liked the school stuff here. It was a nice return. Stuart, you said they didn't do it last book, but book four was kind of messed up too because they had the whole Triwizard tournament and didn't have the normal school year. But I came into this wanting a war and I got junior year of high school and... I was let down. I remember that from my first reading, too, is I expected Prelude to War, and I got Voldemort's sad backstory. It was... Dobby and Creature beat on each other. That was about it. That was fun. (laughs) That was awesome. That was awesome. I'm coming at this a different way from you guys. I know where this is going. I know where this ends up. I've read this book a few times before, right? So for me, this time, having read all the other books immediately prior, I am seeing names, I am seeing aspects that I may have missed by reading the books in a much longer time frame. This is reading a book a week in this series is, it's very compressed, right? So a lot of information, but I'm actually making new connections. For me, the whole Half-Blood Prince mystery doesn't really play for me anymore. For me, it's the Voldemort backstory stuff that I really get into much more. And I loved, loved, loved the relationship stuff between the trio. That we got to go back there, that they have these moments together, that they actually are going to be kids, all that kind of stuff I said to you. But the crux of the novel, which is supposed to be the crux of the novel, or maybe the MacGuffin or the novel, or whatever you want to call it, does not work for me at all anymore on this third or fourth reading, because I know where all of this ends up. Here's the best compliment I can give it, is Brock, when you said you've read this book multiple times... My initial reaction is, oh God, why is this one you'd return to? Since you don't always read the series, why would this be one you come back to? And then I had the second thought of, you know what? If I had read the good books multiple times, this would be one I'd probably come back to, to revisit, especially in retrospect, more of the Voldemort stories. Exactly. And so in that way... Like Stuart said, that's the best stuff of this book, and it is enough mythology-making that, yeah, I could see if I was really into this and I wanted to make sure I got every little detail out of it, that, yeah, this would be one worth reading a couple times over time. And this is the book that we discussed a lot. Other people who have read Harry Potter books, not just the people on the podcast who are theorizing, not just the forums that I, you know, I was also on Star Wars forums at that time, too, but I had friends my age, who were also reading these books at that time. And so all of us would talk about this 
I have a new theory on this. What do you think about this? You know, not exclusively, but like, you know, it would come up. Oh, yeah, I have a new theory on this. And I think R.A.B. is this person. Or I think the Horcrux is this. And we would talk it out and this and that. So this book, it was very prescient in my mind, even if I didn't read it over and over again to get every little to get new details. Other people did and shared it with me. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. So it was, a, it was certainly a, a great time to be a Harry Potter fan was those two years. It was frustrating, but a good time to see where is this going? How is it going to end up? Whose theories are correct? And this book is a major part of that. Well, we're not going to make people wait two years, but we are going to make them wait two weeks before we put out the next books and nachos. Because they broke the movie into two parts, we're going to savor this book review for when we cover on Friday's shows, our sister podcast now playing Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. Is that what they're calling it? That's when we'll put out the books and nachos. But tomorrow at Now Playing, you can hear the three of us discuss the movie Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. And believe it or not, I have very different thoughts on the movie than I have on the book. I think it'll be an interesting discussion that will go further and in a different direction than this book review. So if you're hearing books and nachos, you're only hearing half the Harry Potter. Join us at the donation series at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. And tomorrow, you can join us for that movie review. It's amazing that there's so many Harry Potter movies that we're still not quite done. We've got three more counting tomorrows. So thank you for listening to Books and Nachos. We hope you will check us out at Now Playing. There are hundreds and hundreds of free movie reviews if you haven't checked out that site. It's not all donation shows. We have close to 900 free movie reviews. So if you enjoy Books and Nachos and would like to hear this kind of treatment for movies, check out nowplayingpodcast.com. And Brock Stewart, thank you for joining me. Until next time, if you're still lucky enough to have one, remember to support your local bookstore. Thank you for listening to this episode of Books and Nachos. You can also find many more book reviews at our website, booksandnachos.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please help spread the word about our podcast by leaving us a five-star review on Stitcher, Podbean, iTunes, or your podcast store of choice. Books and Nachos is a crowdsourced podcast with no sponsors or ads. You can support our show by pledging to our Podbean campaign at booksandnachos.com slash support. Books and Nachos is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2022, all rights reserved, and no part of the show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. So if you think you heard books and nachos, well, no, you've obviously heard books and nachos. <laughs> <laughs> then good. You don't need to go to the ear do- doctor. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad. <laughs> then your memory is intact. You're okay.